This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast. I'm sorry it's been a little while, I've just taken a little break away. Um, we uh, we quite sadly lost someone in our office, they passed away quite unexpectedly, so I wasn't really feeling up to doing a podcast for a while. Um, so yeah, here's, here's my my next podcast since, since, that, um, since that event and I thought I'd talk to you today about the types of crime that we deal with. Um, you may notice that I haven't got anyone else with me today, it's just myself, so you're going to have to bear with my voice for a bit. Uh, I often like to get uh, like little helpers on my podcast to do most of the talking. I can ask the questions, sit back and let them do all the work, but unfortunately I'm having to do the work today. Um, so yeah, I just thought we'd talk through the types of crime that crime scene investigators will deal with and hopefully it will give you a kind of little insight in the, the day-to-day world that uh, we go through. Uh, so firstly, we go to an array of different crime types where forensic evidence may assist the investigation or be present. Um, so forensics is there to help explain what occurred and who may have been present at the scene of the crime. So sometimes there are complicated cases where forensics may not play a vital role. Um, so some cases uh, forensics just isn't relevant, such as verbal altercations you might have with your neighbours. Um, we're not really going to go up and swap the faces of you if you've had a verbal altercation with your neighbour. Uh, so more often than not, that will be dealt with by a police officer. Um, but even like domestic abuse, uh, sorry, domestic abuse where people may live in the same address, um, it's not impossible for us to get involved in these types of cases. Um, however, there are just some where we're not too useful, really. Um, this could be because our evidence will likely tell you what you already know. So, say for example, going back to that example of uh, a domestic abuse case. It might be that we find the husband's and wife's fingerprints in the room of where the assault took place, uh, in a house that they've lived lived in for 10 years. So that's not really going to be too crucial, really. That's not going to turn the investigation on its head because we already know that the wife and the husband live at the address. So finding out that information is not really going to um, not really going to take the case forward anymore. So what cases do we get involved in? I hear you all asking on the edge of your seat. I'll start by, I'll start by talking about um, what we call volume crime. Uh, this covers crime like theft, burglary and criminal damage to name the uh, most tom common types of volume crime. Uh, so burglary is when an intruder enters a premise unlawfully without the permission of the owner. Now, a police officer will often ask some strange questions during their statement taking to, like, a burglary victim, mainly because they have to, because criminals, like all criminals, will try and find a loophole uh, to get out of the crime. Um, and a common question a police officer will ask is, did you give permission for anyone to break into your home? Uh, and now it's easy for us to get involved in burglary cases because you have a person in a place who shouldn't be there. 
therefore, if we recover forensic evidence from said place, that person will have to explain why we found it. So, going back to that example where uh, a police officer will ask you if you've given permission to break into your home, of course, if they do have permission, then that will negate any forensics that we kind of find in there. Uh, and I'm guessing that question is asked because someone made a little hiccup in a previous investigation a long time ago, and now we're writing a wrong, perhaps, and that's why it's asked all the time. Um, so burglary, even though classified as volume crime, will still have a huge impact on the families or business owners. If a shop is broken into, it may have to close until the damage is mended. This could cause a large loss of earnings, meaning staff don't get paid for the day. The damage to repair may cost more than what was stolen and is a huge stress for the shop owner. Similarly, a homeowner may have to live in their home knowing an intruder has been through all their belongings. I've seen a person scrubbing their walls and doors with bleach after being burgled, just unable to cope the thought of someone being in in their protective bubble. A burglar may ransack bedrooms including children's bedrooms causing a lot of distress and I mean when a child is growing up and developing their own personalities major events such as burglary could really play a part in their in their character development. Um, but of course a burglar may leave behind forensic evidence in a property they shouldn't be in it could be the point of entry, such as an open window or a door that's been kicked in, or it could be items within the building uh, that have been handled, such as drawers and jewellery boxes. Um, so yeah, we do, we do, even though we classify it as volume crime, um, we do take burglary very, very seriously because it can have a huge impact, not just on on what they take, but the distress it causes. Um, the like nightmares it can give children and, and adults we're not immune from it either um, and like I've seen like some people they've they've lost like tools that they use to work with and then they'll have to shut down their business because they no longer can they no longer have the tools to to work for that business um, so it can be really really tragic uh, burglary and even though like I said we classify it as volume crime I still take it so seriously. So when it comes to theft and criminal damage these may be a little trickier to deal with sometimes as forensic opportunities can be quite limited however we'll assess these on a case-by-case -case basis for example if someone steals from a shop the only item they've handled could be what they've taken or they may have handled a door which the general public are allowed to handle. Um, I could powder that door to try and identify a whole host of people that have been in and out of that shop. Um, I mean, poor Marjorie. She was only popping in with some milk and now she's got police officers at her door trying to ask her why she entered the shop. I mean, it just wouldn't be appropriate for us to do that. Um, however, there may be other times where there may be cases of theft where, say, jewellery is stolen from a suspected tradesman or someone like that. And so we look at areas that they shouldn't have been, um, such as like inside of wardrobes and jewellery boxes. Um, yeah, so say, for example, if a dodgy salesman or a dodgy tradesman comes round, they shouldn't really be sniffing around your jewellery boxes. It's not somewhere where you'd expect them to be. 
Um, not saying that all tradesmen are bad people because there are so many good ones out there and yeah. Anywho, uh, we'll now talk about major crime. Uh, so some of the crimes we deal with that we classify as major crime are sexual offences, serious assaults, the manufacturing of drugs, arson and fire investigation, kidnap and suspicious death. Um, this isn't a conclusive list of the major crime and volume crime that we deal with. These are just kind of the most common ones that have sprung to my head. Uh, there'll probably be some CSIs listening to this thinking, Chris, you've missed this one, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I probably have. Um, but yeah, these major crime cases, these are the ones where we break out those white suits that you see on TV. Um, we break out the white suits because there is often a, a higher risk of contamination say between various link cases that there there might be um and also with the with the sensitive nature of the further examination of work that might be carried out uh, we might do a lot more kind of expensive and sensitive dna work on say a major crime case than we would a volume crime case um and that's why we have to be extra cautious uh, when wearing a white suit. And also I think if I turned up to a burglary scene, would the homeowner really want me to enter in like a full head-to-toe white overalls with only my eyes showing? That's definitely going to get the neighbours twitching their curtains. So we don't tend to do that for, for burglary scenes. Um, but previously um, I spoke about recovering forensic evidence from a property, like when I was discussing uh, burglaries. But now things change when crimes are committed on a person, such as violence or sexual crime. Uh, we now have to start thinking about recovering evidence off a victim or a suspect if one has been arrested. Um, we also will tend to have multiple scenes at a major crime, uh, such as a vehicle a suspect may have fled in or a property that the suspect went back to. Um, so, as you can see, major crimes can really drain our resources. So I'll just give you a little example of a crime, and I want you to estimate how many CSIs may be, may be needed uh, to call upon uh, to deal with this scene. So, a call is made to police at 1pm stating the couple have just been tied up and robbed of their possess possessions within their home, such as cash and jewellery. The female has minor injuries, but her husband has been transported by ambulance to the hospital. The wife has provided an account that two males entered her home, and one had a weapon. She managed to see them through the window when they left. She saw them both get into a vehicle, and one of them threw a weapon into a neighbour's garden. So, that's a little short scenario, but quite a lot to take in. So let's break down the different scenes and the resources that will be required. So straight away initially we'll send a CSI to the home address where the offence occurred. They might be able to recover forensic evidence of the wife while she's at home or they may call for a colleague to attend. Um, so you could potentially have two CSIs at that address. Um, we've also got a poorly husband at hospital um, once medical intervention has finished, another CSI could attend to take um, forensic samples from the husband in hospital. Now, say uh, once medical intervention intervention has finished, um, of course, like forensics would love us to be able to 
pick up all the forensic evidence before medical professionals could potentially alter it. However, we just, we, we never do. Um, medical intervention always takes priority over any samples that we have. Um, so we'll just do our best to recover what we can after the uh, the medical professionals have finished with them. And a separate CSI may be required for the neighbour's garden to recover the weapon. Um, and I say maybe because the CSI who attended the home address could potentially deal with this. However, you might have uh, an issue with cross-contamination going from one scene to the other. So it could be that a separate CSI goes to the neighbour's garden, forensically recovers the weapon, uh, without having to enter the property where these males entered as well. Um, but as the investigation continues, these two suspects might be identified. In that case, uh, two separate CSIs would be required for each suspect uh, to recover any samples from. And then subsequently, you might get a vehicle and any addresses that they may have immediately gone back to. So there you're talking two suspects, a vehicle, maybe one address, so that's at least four CSIs there. So that makes the total count to around eight, I think I make it. So that's that's quite a lot of CSIs when there may only be, you know, like five or six on duty that afternoon for, for say, just Sussex. Um, so as you can see, that yeah, it, it might be that one job that we have could potentially eat up all our resources meaning that we're not able to easily get to, say, volume crime as quickly as, as we really would like to. So that example hopefully shows you how quickly a case can progress and how draining it can be on resources. So let me just talk about other offences that uh, we can deal with. Um, so when it comes to, say, drug offences, we may look into what evidence has been left behind, say, at a manufacturing factory. Uh, manufacturing factory, that's <laughs> a bit of a tongue twister. Um, unfortunately for some, uh, cannabis is illegal in this country and uh, is a class B drug. And uh, I think kind of, I don't know the ins and outs of why it's a class B drug, but I'd imagine it's mainly because it's manufactured in quite an uncontrolled way um, you don't know kind of what's in it half the time and um, it's not always produced in the safest method method uh, it wasn't too long ago I went to a cannabis factory where they had um, say bypassed the electrics stolen the um, the neighbors electrics and was using all their power um, and of course, you know, the neighbours are going to get a huge bill for that. Um, and you also sometimes, quite sadly, have people that are imported into this country against their will and are forced to work at these, these cannabis factories. So I think, you know, if you know anyone that's smoking cannabis, maybe get them to think about where they think it's come from. Um, it could be that you have a completely innocent person that's being forced against their will to work at these factories. Also, you can have a little quick high, which, um, yeah, is why we take the manufacturing of cannabis very, very seriously. Um, and so, yeah, we, we must investigate these crimes. We must try and determine who has set these up 
and there is often a whole host of forensic opportunities at these cases. With uh, arson and fire investigation, um, these require a sort of different yet similar set of skills from us. Um, we'll look to determine, say, where the fire has uh, started and take forensic example from these areas of severe burning just to help determine if an acceleration, uh, accelerant was used. Uh, the main difference, however, is say sifting through all that rubble to find out what's happened. Um, we might have to get rid of the ceiling that's collapsed onto the floor and trying to put this burnt room back together. Um, and that's all so we can examine, say, the more extreme areas of burning. Um, I say they these require a different yet similar set of skills. Um, I mean, most of the time, say, we'll go to a burglary and you can see exactly what's happened. You know, there'll be an open window, there'll be a, a homeowner there that's saying, yep, this is gone, this is gone. Um, whereas, say, with uh, an arson to, say, someone's house that's that's burnt down, it may be a bit harder for us to determine if someone's broken in, um, what's been stolen, um, how it's been set, has it been an electrical fault, has it been on purpose, so yeah it requires a different level of thinking and we'll often need to work backwards, <laughs> for example just putting the room back together so we can try and determine like where a chair was, where the sofa was, where the TV was and yeah then being able to work out where the fire may have originated from. Now, the uh, suspicious death scenes are the types of job that the television companies and authors just love to portray. The kind of whodunit murders where lots of detectives are heavily involved, and yet there are similarities as to what you see on this, the television. However, the biggest difference, and my personal favourite, is the ability to tell senior officers they can't just walk into the scenes in their long jackets like you see Idris Elba doing all the time as Luther and similar characters uh, that you may see on different programs. Um, so basically, if someone wants to enter the scene of a suspicious death, they will need to be fully suited in our PPE and have a genuine reason for entering. Now, I say that's my favourite um, difference is, is because like, if the chief constable uh, turns up and says, I demand to enter the scene, I'd have to politely say, Mom, you're, you need to have a good reason and you're going to need to dress up like me in one of these suits. Um, so if you're not going to be able to do neither of those, I'm sorry you can't come in. And this, this isn't just me being uh, picky. Uh, it's literally because we've got a crime scene where the possibility of contamination could really affect the the outcome of the case. And of course, we don't want to be the ones that let this investigation and let the families down. So that's the reason why, I'm sorry Luther, you've got to get dressed in our soccer gear, <laughs> our CSI suits. Um, so yeah, suspicious death scenes, they can be quite draining on resources, just like the other, the other scenes that I've spoken about. Um, you'll often have different people there, such as coroner's officers... Uh, undertakers um, and multiple agencies if uh, more hazardous things has, has happened. Um, and going back to say fire investigation, 
we might have to deal with uh, the fire brigade as well so they will want to determine whether or not the cause of the fire has been accidental or deliberate so we we'll often work quite closely with them now things can get quite challenging when you start having multiple elements to a scene uh, say such as a fire in a drugs factory or you might have a sexual element to a suspicious death um, so you might be looking to say establish why a fire started in a drugs factory causing danger to neighboring houses um, but whilst also trying to determine who has created the setup um, and like I said you might have a sexual element to a suspicious death so we might have to say break out the UV lights to look for bodily fluids when in other suspicious deaths we might not be doing so so yeah we've got we've got a lot of skills that we can offer uh to every single offense uh that I've mentioned um and there'll always be an assessment as to what skills are required um against the information that we have at the time so this is often referred to a forensic strategy um and a forensic strategy is say a document uh, that will make for each serious offence just to make sure no opportunities are missed. So this will often be in discussion with the Senior Investigating Officer or SIO you may have heard being referenced uh, in say various TV programmes um, and this will kind of be an agreement as to what we can do at a scene um, and it will be listed off and given to the CSI so they know what kind of examination they need to do on a kind of case-by-case -case basis. Um, so yeah, I hope this has given you a, a little idea on the types of crime that we get involved with and how sometimes uh, resources can be quite thin on the ground. Um, if we're not able to get to you, say if you've been burgled, um, I hope this has given you an insight as to why it's it's not that we don't want to because like I said we take burglary so seriously and it's something that yeah it's close to my heart because I've been I've been doing this for like 11 years and burglary is kind of like our most common crime that we'll go to and yeah I see lots of people kind of suffer from burglary and they suffer in different ways but yeah they, everyone suffers from it um and i can yeah i can see like the damage that it leaves behind um so yeah as as times have changed and um we've been we've been cut back so we don't have as many staff as we used to sometimes it can be a little harder to get to you as quickly as we can however i hope that's given you kind of an idea as as to why <laughs> it's it's not, it's not you it's them the criminals <laughs> they're the ones that are are to blame for all this however i really hope you found this interesting kind of getting to know just in short the types of crime that i will cover um please let me know if if you like this or or, or not i guess <laughs> always open to uh, constructive criticism i might add um i'm on twitter at csi chris g that's g double e um and yeah keep following my podcast i hope to kind of um update you more frequently on my life as a crime scene investigator and well if you didn't find this interesting listen to me for say 20 25 minutes i'll i'll get another guest in and <laughs> you won't have to listen to me chatting uh for yeah all this time anyway 
to those of you who have uh, stayed to the end, thank you so, so much. And uh, I hope you listen to me soon again. Thank you. This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene.